I hate the fact that it's cool to be black these days. Good. I hate this hip-hop fucking influence on white fucking suburbia. Good. And I hate Tabitha Soren and all her Zionist MTV fucking pigs telling us we should get along. Save the rhetorical bullshit, Hillary Rodham Clinton, because it ain't gonna fucking happen. Stream across the border. Over two million illegal immigrants bedding down in this state tonight. Our border policy is a joke. $400 million just to lock up a bunch of illegal immigrants, criminals. There's nothing funny going on here. This is about your life and mine. On the Statue of Liberty, it says, give me your tired, your hungry, your poor. Well, it's Americans who are tired and hungry and poor. And I say until you take care of that, close the fucking book. going on and I don't see anybody doing anything about it. And he fucking pisses me off. This isn't our fucking neighborhood, it's a battlefield.
What's up, family? How's everybody doing tonight? Thank you all very much for tuning in to another episode of the motherfucking Eagles Nest. Do me a favor, guys. Uh, before we get too far into this, uh, how do I sound? Does my sound, do I sound good? Do I sound far away from the mic? Do I sound all fucked up? I'm trying to uh, get the mic out of my hands, uh, so I don't got to sit and hold the motherfucker all the time. Uh, but I am poor, so I got a shitty, not a shitty mic stand, but I don't got one of those big fucking boom mics that I can swing around into my fucking face. So I'm trying to, to see if this shit here will work. Sound fine? All right, sweet. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, how's everybody doing tonight, guys? Uh, Akilo will be here soon. He's got some life shit he's handling, and then uh, he'll make his way on into the, into the call. Uh, Hank, brother, I saw your comment. I believe that was you on the last episode. This is something I'm uh, trying to figure out. I think I may have to end up uh, actually uploading two... Uh, Two versions of each show because the way uh vlc i guess I'm, I'm assuming it was you hank uh unless there's another hank that was saying they couldn't hear uh the replay on the newest upload that is because uh some fucking <laughs> i had to edit some stuff out uh and that's why I had, I had to go through and change a whole bunch of stuff on my browser somehow some stuff had got on there like some of my personal information was coming up uh, when I would hover over certain things, and I don't understand how that was happening. So I had to go fix that, and I had to edit it out of the last show. And every time I have to edit a show, that's why I still haven't uploaded the... Uh... Oh, fuck, what was it? That, uh... There's a show that we just did a while back that was fucking hilarious, and I haven't re-uploaded it because um, I had to edit some stuff out of it, but I... When I what fuck what I'm getting at is when I have to edit these things down on uh the video editing software that I use that I'm familiar with that I'm comfortable with only uh will only um process the video it will only produce the video in certain formats none of those sort formats are MP4 but Odyssey only likes MP4 format uploaded to their platform, right? So, like, Odyssey works best with MP4, but this particular uh, video editing software I have doesn't have an MP4, like, option for uh, exporting. There you go. Uh, you know what I mean? I can't turn it into an MP4 and then export it to the computer. Anyhow, uh, <clears throat> so when I have to go through and edit it, then I, uh, you know, export it to the PC, then I put it in VLC, to convert it, the problem is, like, when the conversion options, there's one that says, you know, like, uh, for iPod, iTunes shit, right? <clears throat> uh, for basically Apple shit, and then there's another one that's like MP4 for TVs and devices. So, the MP4 version, for some reason, people with Apple products, they can't hear it. If you have an iPhone, you try to watch the replay on your phone... You won't be able to hear it. I don't know why. I don't know if that's because I'm like uh, Apple banned or what the fuck. I doubt it's that. I doubt that's what it is. I'm pretty sure it's like a encryption thing or whatever. How that shit works. It's a file thing. The files don't communicate correctly or whatever the fuck. You guys know what I'm saying. But that's what's going on with that, bro. So I'm sorry that uh, you can't hear it. I may start going back through and uh, uploading the I the Apple uh Converting it to the Apple version, I guess. I don't really know how else to explain it. You know what I mean? If anybody works with VLC Media Player, they'll know what I'm talking about. When you go through to uh, 
convert files, you only have certain options there, right? And the iPhone, uh, iPod option is separate from all others because I guess they're... Shit works differently. I don't know. <clears throat> Encoder issues. There you go, Drakes. Thank you. I was too retarded to think of that fucking term. Encoder issues. There you go. Yes, but anyhow, uh, that was a really long spiel. Uh, uh, that was much ado about nothing, really. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, tell you what was going on with that, Hank, because I saw your comment. Uh, I don't really know what I'm going to do about that yet, but I'll figure it out. Uh, do it. What's up, brother? Uh, what the hell is that? The blind. Oh, the blind media minority. What's up, the blind? I'm just going to call you the blind. What's up, Gibbs Bananas? What's up, The Rock? Brands? What's up, family? Argent Destroyer. Dregs. Smitty. Mr. Batteon. Uh, Argent Destroyer. What's up, family? Hereward Silvatisi. What's up, brother? Uh, the Rock. What's up, Bubba? Let's say Falcon, what's up, fam? Uh, Hank, yeah, what's up, brother? Uh, Ascot Bro, what's up, brother? Thank you very much for that. Uh, if that says something, I'll, I'll check it out. Tipsy, what's up, brother? How you doing, man? Good to see you. Hope all is well. Uh, down there in Upside Down Land. Moon Man, what's up, bub? Celtic Viking, what's up, fam? Lady Mjolnir, what's up, sis? Good to see you. Uh, that gets me to the top there. Lady Mjolnir's at the top of my thing. I think I got everybody. Uh... Ascot Bro says, grab a license key for Sony Vegas. Worked decent for me for years. I don't know what that means, brother. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. Uh, oh, you're probably talking about for uh, video editing and shit, huh? That's probably what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck that means, man. Uh, Luther, the comments. Well, thanks, uh, f thanks for jumping in, bro. <clears throat> thanks for jumping in. I appreciate it if you've been watching for a while. But yeah, man, uh, any of you guys that watch, I've noticed that a lot, man. We'll have, you see, I'm so used to holding my microphone. I just reach for it, like, uh, instinctively. I I've noticed that a lot that, uh, we'll have real high numbers, you know, in the show. <clears throat> upwards, 100, over 100. But, uh, you know, 40 or 50 people chatting, uh, which is Fucking great, you know what I mean? For sure. But everybody, man, jump in there. Join in on the on the shits, man. That's what we're here for. We're you know, that's what we're here for. Making community, making connections, becoming friends. Oh, what's up, beefy? Uh almost fourteen hundred. Yeah, we're getting there, man. <clears throat> we're getting there. Uh we're getting close to where we were at uh with D Live. We were up uh, a little over two thousand. Before we got banned from D Live, and then everybody got banned from D Live, and everybody, a bunch of people just left D Live, and I think it's still sitting at like 1900 over there, even though we don't really even fucking use it. Uh, girl vetted me. Uh, well, I appreciate that, uh, the blind. Thank you. All right, man. Well, let's get on into it, man. <clears throat> so I gotta tell, I gotta tell you guys, I've had something on my mind. I've been thinking about it lately. Hold on one second. I gotta put in my fucking throat. Hold on a second. Let me clear my throat. <laughs> no, but I've been thinking about something. Uh, D-Live is asshole. I've been thinking about something for a while, man. And, 
I was thinking about, like, you know, a lot of times we'll see in our circle. Oh, what's up, Mr. YouTuber? Thank you very much, brother. I'm sorry I didn't see that. I mean, I saw that, but didn't say anything about it. It says Wignat Pride, 100%, bro. Thank you very much uh, for the dollar. And if you, bro, if you get free, you always know that things open. You're always welcome to jump on. But, uh, I was thinking about some of, like, the elitism. And, uh, it actually, what, what spurred it in my mind was hearing a, a conversation with uh, that faggot uh, Nick Fuentes. Um, and I believe he was talking to like a, a, a kid who was going to work with his dad or something, I believe. And uh, he says to the kid, like, yeah, basically fuck the working class. I don't give a fuck about the working class. I'm an elitist. <clears throat> and that makes me sick, obviously. You know, I'm a working class man, and that's like my thing. Uh, but like that isn't a opinion that's unique to Nick Fuentes in dissident circles, right? Especially in dissident right-wing circles. Uh, we have a lot of that. A lot of my friends do it, right? Uh, and, you know, I'm even sure I have been guilty of it to some degree, right? Uh, the sneering down our nose at what are ostensibly our constituents, right? Our people are, are uh, you know... We're trying to start a populist thing here, right? Because that is what we're trying to do. We're, you know, we're trying to get, win the hearts and minds of our people, our people, white people, and get them to realize that they're under attack and to realize that we have to move forward and fight this thing or else we're all going to fucking die, right? That's, that's what we're trying to do here, right? Win the hearts and minds of white people in the United States and get them to realize that they have to start fighting for themselves, right? Um, you can never do that by sneering down your nose at those people. Yes, a lot of white people are broken. They're fat. They're basically retarded because their brains have been broken by Jewish media. But we can't hate them for that, right? We can't sneer down our nose at people who have been mentally and racially abused by Jews their entire fucking life. From birth, they come out of the womb just being abused and, and taken advantage of and, and spit on by fucking kikes, right? And, and that you have no ability to fight against that. When it, it, it comes from the womb, right? And a lot of those people aren't exposed uh, to the things that we, right? They don't have the chance to get exposed to the information that we have because they are dumb, right? And I'm not saying that in a mean way. These aren't, not everybody's supposed to be, like, th there's a reason knowledge was, was, was restricted to a few in, in ancient times, right? Because not everybody can use, and, and, and it's, not, it's, it's like pointless to teach them that, right? And, like, just because people aren't, you know, the sharpest fucking knife in their drawer, you know what I mean? Just because they're, you know, the, they're not the, the smartest person doesn't mean we should sneer down our nose and hate them. Just because they have uh, been browbeaten and gaslit and, and abused. I mean, there's no other way to put it, but abused by Jews to the point where they have no hope. They're apathetic. It's learned helplessness. They're fat. They feel like there's nothing they can do about it. They don't want to go out of the house because they're fucking terrified of the world that Jews have created, right? So they sit in the house, they shovel shit food in their face, and they zone out in TV and they let the TV program them, right? So they have been 100% conquered by Jewish thought criminals. And we can't hate them for that, right? We have to show compassion toward these people, and, and, and even, even the ones that, that will never see things our way, right? We have to restrict our, or, you know, limit our ire 
right? We have to limit our vitriol toward them and realize that they've been broken, right? They've been broken, and these are broken people who don't have the ability to unfuck themselves, right? And it's just hard for me to snare down my nose at these people. Uh, and that is in large part, I guess, this is where I'm going with this, is because I come up with these people, right? I've seen the pain that they go through, right? I've seen the struggle. I've seen what this looks like, right? And I think that is, and I'm not calling, first and foremost, <laughs> you guys know this, anybody who's watched my show for any amount of time, I'm not calling myself any fucking leader at all. That's not what I'm saying. But the best leaders, the best leaders in history have come from the slums. Mussolini's dad was a fucking blacksmith and his mother was a school teacher and they were notably poor. They were, they were mentioned in, in like people who write about them. It is, it, is, it is something that is always talked about that he was from a poor family. He was a working class man. Hitler, you know, his, uh, his father was, I think, uh, you know, in some way like loosely into politics, but he went and he lived as a vagabond in Vienna. He lived as a homeless. He went through the struggle. He fought in the fucking war. He was in the trenches, right? You cannot. I don't think you can build the character necessary to be a leader without going through these struggles, right? Um, I think when you have grown up uh, in a high, uh, like an upper middle class lifestyle where you're kind of walled off from the struggles uh, that, that the yeomen have to go through, right? When you, uh, don't ha- when you went to private school or were homeschooled and didn't have to go and, and, and witness what's actually happening in this world, you didn't have to fight through the hordes of niggers and Mexicans in your high school. You didn't have to fight through the fucking, fucking tweakers and fucking crackheads on your fucking way to school as you walked there, right? You didn't. You didn't have to. You didn't have to bleed on the same ground as the as the as the common man, right? And that gives you this this. Um. I think people who come up from from those, uh, you know gated communities, for lack of a better term, uh, have a default position of looking down their nose at people, right? And I watched a fucking great movie last night uh, that touched on this. It's called The Platform. And in this movie, uh, the, the concept of this movie was all these people were put into this prison, and the prison was a, a tower, right? And it was a tiered tower. And they started at the very top, and they made this beautiful feast, and they made enough food for everybody in there to eat. But the platform started at the top, and it went down every level, and people were so selfish. And they looked down at the people below them as below them to such a degree that people would eat from this platform, and as it went down, they would spit on it, knowing people had to, had to eat from that. And they were, they, and dude was like, what the fuck are you doing, man? And he's like, they're below. They'll eat it anyway. Right? And, and I think that when you have, when you have been raised in, an, in one of these um, gated communities, one of, you, know, you went to private schools, your fucking you know, parents were wealthy, you know what I mean? Uh, you, you didn't have to worry about the actual struggles of normal life. You kind of come, maybe not to such a harsh degree, but you, there's, a, there's, a, there's an element of that to you if you've come from, from that kind of cushy lifestyle. There's an element to where you can look down your nose at the stupid hillbilly, right? When really that stupid hillbilly that you're fucking sneering at and shitting on is one of the best fucking people you'll ever meet in your life. That's the motherfucker who's going to pull over like when, the, when it's fucking snowing outside and everybody's like splashing you with sludge. That's the motherfucker who's going to pull over and fucking help you with your broken down car. 
right? These are some of the best fucking people you'll ever meet in your life. And some of these fucking middle-class, elitist, intellectual faggots have the nerve to sneer down their nose at them. And that is why I think you can't have a leader from the middle class. I think you'll never have a true leader from the middle class. I think leaders from the middle class get you the George Bushes and the Bill Clintons and the Ronald Reagans and these kinds of fucking slimy, shitty scumbags that look down their fucking nose at people. So that's my thing, man. I think that a true leader comes from the yeoman. He comes from the people. He has to have had his hands in the dirt. You know what I mean? He has had to had to, you know, uh, rub elbows with the poor, right? See the struggles. Look at the pain in the eyes of children who only who have only eat once a day, and they're fucking thankful for it. They're thankful for that one fucking meal a day. They're stoked to have it. You can never really understand struggle if you've never been through it. How the fuck are you going to understand the struggle of of poor whites if you've never been poor and white? <laughs> well, Poor, I guess I'm not going to say I'm not going to accuse people of not being white, but you know what I mean? You can't understand the struggle of a poor white man if you've, if you've never lived a poor life, if you don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I was just using that as a, a coing. I agree with this, but I, uh, there's a difference between hillbillies and rednecks. I agree there's a huge difference, but I love them both. Uh, neither one of those terms have a negative connotation to me, right? Uh, those are the people I love the most. Those are the, those are the fucking salt of the earth, right? Uh, 100%. And yeah, they're dumb. And they have, you know, politically, right? Yes, he's, they're politically retarded. Because they don't give a fuck about politics, right? They just want to live their fucking life. They just want to fucking live their life and be left the fuck alone, man. And they're good fucking people. And those are the people, honestly, that we're fighting for, man. Right? Those are the people that really fucking matter, dude. To be honest with you. Oh, hey, what's up, brother? I'm sorry, I, I got you metered up. I didn't know you were there. What's up, Bubba? Akilah's in the house, family. Say what's up to Akilah, y'all. What's up, everybody? Missed you guys. I'm a little bit late. It's all right. Worst things yeah. have happened. Oh, Johnny's yeah. got no a good problem. rant going for you guys right there, man. That's, uh, that's the truth, if I ever heard it. Um. You know, one of the things they do, like you kind of alluded to, um, you know, how they destabilize boomers and stuff. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I think they do this. There, there's a whole method to this. Right. Uh, uh, and, you know, a lot of the MK Ultra stuff, um, you could say these are like ways you could destabilize somebody's psyche. But Mike Pinovich has kind of alluded to the fact that they didn't really pull a lot of um important tactics for the individual out of mk ultra experiments but the or, or perhaps that those are bigger conspiracy theories but what they did clearly pull out of the, that type of experimenting uh things like edward bernays how to like get to the to the masses was was how to impact the masses right and yeah no the psyche of the masses. and that's what i always yeah. try to tell people like in my opinion if you actually look into uh you know um MK Ultra and what it was doing and the types of experiments they were doing all the way from uh what was it uh Blue Book to to cuz originally it was Blue Book and then I think it went to like Mockingbird or fucking Nightingale or some shit like that and then it yeah. went on to become MK Ultra. If you look at that all the way through in my personal opinion what they were fucking trying to do was find a way to break the brains of masses of people. 
That's why they they fucking turned to tell they turned to television, right? And all of these, uh, well, I guess not all of these, but in a majority of these stu- these experiments they did, like the ones they did on Ted Kaczynski and similar things, they would always flash imagery, right? Flashing imagery has always been a thing in these in these uh, attempts to break the human brain, and that's exactly what this was. MK Ultra was, and, and they, they they even say as much if you actually look into it. It was a way to try to instill learned helplessness in the entire fucking population, right? They wanted to break the brains of the entire population and install learned helplessness. That's why I am fucking 100% convinced the shit we're going to talk about tonight, the serial killer shit, the, 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 the uh, phenomenon of white serial killers, all of these things were a part of, of the MKUltra program, right? I think MKUltra uh, works hand in glove with the strategy of tension, in the United States, right? I think MK Ultra is an element of the strategy of tension in the United States. Yeah, absolutely. Just a quick, quick aside, because so, so what I did um, while we were prepping for the show was I ended up uh, reading about probably about ninety-five percent of this book called "Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon" uh, by David McGowan that me and you had chatted a little bit about online, uh, online on air and stuff um, in the past uh, leading into this. So I'm like, kind of, my brain is littered with all these crazy facts, um, and it's just mind blowing. And so you, you brought up Blue Book, so it's actually Blue Bird. What, Blue what Bird. There you go. Yes. Okay. And and so here's just a little tidbit like um, Buffalo Springfield is the band uh, that uh, has the song. I think it's for what it's worth. You know, the opening of Apocalypse Now that we know we all know that song. So their second big hit was called uh, Bluebird. (laughs) Really? Wicked. I did not know that. (laughs) And like (laughs) this book is just filled with so many different little things like that. The guy does a pretty good job. He doesn't allude to too much conspiracy. He definitely clearly um, describes it from like a bit of an NRXer or Alex Jones kind of perspective. Um, doesn't do the JQ or anything with it, obviously. But uh, well, the JQ is a big job. part of this. It's a huge part, but you can't ignore it. Jews doesn't, the, the, are the, the a... actually doesn't make sense without the JQ, really. No, it doesn't. Uh, when it comes to the music side and and the MK Ultra psychedelic side, we got to right. You know, a lot of people don't know this, and this is something we're going to cover real soon. If not Friday, it'll be probably next Monday or next Friday. But we're going to follow this up. We're going to cover uh, Sidney Gottlieb. We got to understand MK Ultra isn't MK Ultra without Sidney Gottlieb and Jolly West, right? Sidney Gottlieb is with the, There's a there's a book about him. What's it called? Poisoner in Chief or some crazy shit like that. Sidney Gottlieb was one of the main architects behind. Uh, MK Ultra and the LSD studies and shit like that. He was a fucking evil person. Uh, and then you've got when it comes to the music industry. I mean, fuck, dude. I mean, do we? I mean, I I think every fucking single record company out there is owned by a Jew. I don't know of one that's not really. Yeah, uh, I guess non-stop. I don't really, like it's yeah. non-stop. Crazy Jews and homos like David Geffen owned Asylum Records, which was an important record label back in the 60s, like around Laurel Canyon. Um, they released the first Eagles album, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, so we all know the Eagles were kind of like a boy band put together, the Monkees were like a boy band put together, um, the Birds, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. These were all like organized bands and organized by, like, yeah, they were built sick people, really yeah, sick they were people. Built these bands together yeah um vito Polikis is an interesting character who put vito together the, the birth initially yeah he vito and the freaks right so these people were the original flower children the original hippies and uh, they were really sick 
he was responsible for killing his, his 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 young son and all kinds of really wild ass shit. But Charles Manson ended up following up sort of the position that Vito Palikas held yes. in Laurel Canyon community. Yeah, bro. I've talked about this before. I've told people that that you know Vito was kind of like the the precursor to Charles Manson, and then Charles Manson and his and his uh, his girls, the Manson family, stayed. They went to a clinic that was run by Jolly West and another guy. I can't remember his name right now. This is all in my Manson and Shamir Mir uh, episode. Uh, I've talked about this a couple times. But uh, Manson went to a clinic that was run by Jolly West, which was one of the main uh, chemists in the MK Ultra program. Uh, he also, him and his girls lived and frequently stayed, I guess I should say lived, frequently stayed in a flop house that was run by Jolly West. It was literally, he called it, Jolly West himself called it a lab disguised as a hippie crash pad. They literally would have... Uh, Har- uh, students, he, they would have like his assistants. His he was uh, his assistants. Uh, he taught it, I think Harvard, I think or UCLA. He taught at some uh, college somewhere there in California. I forget which one it was. It's been a while since I talked about all this. But he had a uh, a crash pad, a, what he called himself called a lab disguised as a hippie crash pad, where he had his underlings dress up like hippies and shit, and they would have all of these vagabonds, these hippies that would come through Haight Ashbury would stay there and they would tell them like, hey, you're welcome to be here. Do whatever you want. There's going to be these people over here every now and again just kind of checking you out, watching you, right? And they would study these people and they would get them fucking fried on drugs. And then, the, and then his, his, his helpers started, ended up getting fried on drugs. And all of these people uh, were basically experimented on in this flop house that was made by Sidney Gottlieb. Yeah, that's right. There's all kinds of crazy connections. Um, you know, these houses in Laurel Canyon, they pass from... I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Jolly West, not Sydney Gottlieb. <laughs> Jolly West, I'm sorry, guys. The the flop house and the clinic were run by Jolly West. My bad, not Sydney Gottlieb. Yeah, the, these crazy homes, they would pass from hand to hand, you know, and they kind of pass down. There's a, the, the, a, many of them burned. Uh, many of them were um, uh, locations of multiple murders, um, Things like look like ritualistic murders and this type of thing. Uh, um, Alistair Crowley was heavily involved. That all these people were big fans of OTO and Alistair Crowley. Um, so there was a, a fair amount of Satanism uh, around that. And uh, so the oh well, yeah, what Paul was Lincoln, it? The yeah. what was it? The Process Church that uh, right. Manson was a part. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I'm yeah, sorry, I mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Not at all. Uh, not at all. There, there was um, two two things. I was trying to decide where to go with that. So Rocky Erickson was the first person to ever plug in and play an electric guitar and uh, like with distortion and stuff like that. And he was a uh, um, the lead singer of I'm going to forget which band now, um, but he was like a, a child prodigy. Um, he was like, uh, the story was that he was like severely abused as a child along with his brothers by his father. And, um, he also, um, was a processian or, or a, he could, one of these people went around in these black capes. David Crosby actually also went around in a black cape. Uh, Manson eventually was known to go around in a black cape. And the number two of Vito Paulikas was known to go around in a black cape, somebody named a friend Zoni. Um, so yeah, the, the, these things are all adjacent to each other. Scientology played a huge role. Robert Heinlein's work, as you're probably well aware. Yeah, and so. and what people got to realize is all of this, 
when you really get into looking into all of this, it, it all there's there's like a solid line, like all the way. This is this is wild, man, and this is totally for a different show. But there is a solid line of Judaism in this shit because people have to understand Satanism as we know it today. Modern Satanism is just Judaism. It's just Judaic. It is Kabbalah, right? It's Kabbalic practice. Uh, there is a solid line from the modern Church of Satanism to Anton LaVey all the way back to, uh, to Aleister Crowley to fucking uh, Sabbatai Zevi and Jacob Frank, right? Two very prominent, disgusting, satanic Jews, right? They are basically the fathers of what we know as modern occult practices, right? Occult or and Satanist practices. All of these blood sex rituals and rituals with fecal matter and urine and sacrificing children and things like that. All of this stuff is a product of Jewish uh, Kabbalistic practices. Uh, made popular, I don't think this is where it started because we know Jesus talked about this in the Bible, them doing disgusting things like this. We know of sacrifices to Moloch, but it was made popular and kind of... Uh, uh, you know, mainstreamed by Sabbatai Zevi and then Jacob Frank. And the funny thing is about all this, and I'm, I can't, never mind. I don't want to go all the way in that because then we're going to end up doing the Sabbatai Zevi, but we're going to do that show too. But anyway, uh, and when you start looking into music's role in this, music's role in the breaking of the brains of, of people in, the, in, in white countries, right? The United States and the UK. Uh, you start to look back and realize that, that we've always known that music was a form of control, right? We've always known music has the ability to manipulate people's minds. And there's actually scientific studies that we're going to show here in a minute. There's research papers written on this now. But back in the day, the early church knew this, right? People, you know, people, you know, the wiser people of those times knew that, hey, music can manipulate people. That's what the story of the Pied Piper is about, Right? The Pied Piper leads the kids away with the music and blah, 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 right? They knew that music had the ability to, to change your emotions and control you, right? And, and here, uh, a lot of our modern music, go ahead. Go ahead. See, sorry, Kudrov. In the book, he alludes to that. David McGowan alludes to this Pied Piper sort of call that seemed to be happening to people in Laurel Canyon. Like all these people just started pouring into Laurel Canyon for no particular reason. And he's talking about the Pied Piper all the time. And so it seems like it was like levels of organization and then also levels of just allure, cultural allure. Right. So, yeah, totally Pied Piper scenario. But just to be specific, that it seemed to many people at that time that Hyde Ashbury and uh, Laurel Canyon before it were uh, it, it was exactly what was happening. That same phenomenon. Yeah, 100 uh, percent. Lady Mjolnir. Yeah, LeVay was a Jew and one of Charles Manson. I think it was Sadie. I forget her act actual name. Uh, she was uh, like one of his girlfriends. She like whored around and was a part of the Church of Satan and one of was was one of Anton LaVey's like right hand whores. One of Charles Manson's uh Charlie's Angels or one of his girls, Sadie. She was one of Anton LaVey's right hand whores. So that kind of shows you how all of these people are tied together. Like directly tied together. It's not like a six degrees of Kevin Fucknuts or whatever it is. It's not like that. These people are directly tied, like individually to one another. Right? It's, it's fucking bizarre. But getting back to what we were talking about, like I was saying, the early church and people back in the day knew that music um, had the ability to manipulate your emotions, control your emotions, and even, you know, you, to, to, a lot, to a large degree, it even has the ability to fuck with your genes a little bit. Like, we're going to get into that here in a minute. 
in uh, we have some other articles we're going to read. But this is just something I want to touch on real quick. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but there is a, such a thing as called the devil's tritone or the devil's chord. And here, I'll just read this thing. Like, uh, like a beast that goes by many names, the devil's interval, the tritone, the triad, and the flatted fifth, as Latin moniker suggests, it's an evil-sounding combination of notes designed to create chilling and foreboding atmosphere. So before... This was seen as repulsive, right? To play these notes, uh, to play this note was seen as repulsive. It created anxiety, kind of like modern art now, right? The father of modern art, he's some fucking spick. I forget his name. Uh, he, he might be Spanish, but whatever. I've, he's got a weird name like that. Uh, the father, Dolly, the father, no, it's not Salvador Dali. Uh, the father of modern art, uh, was quoted as saying he wanted his art to cause anxiety and, and discomfort in people, right? As before modern art, art was meant to inspire awe. It was supposed to be beautiful. It was supposed to be inspirational. Same thing with music, right? Like when you hear like some old classical music, it, it's, it makes you happy. It makes you feel good. Uh, you know, like the old plant thing, right? If you play classical music to a plant, it grows like normally. If you play weird death metal to a plant, it kind of like wilts and doesn't grow so healthy. It grows smaller and shit like that, right? Uh, they've always known these things. Uh, and that's why, you know, a lot of times we see um, these things that the church put restrictions on and people thought of it as repressive and, you know, oh, they just didn't want anybody to have fucking fun, man. That's all it is. And then we come to see years down the road, no, these things were actually destructive, Right, these these songs actually cause people depression because they're played in these notes. When you go through a list of the songs that are played in this chord nowadays, you're like, holy shit, uh, you know what I mean? And all of those songs are like sad songs, right? They're kind of like bummy or or like uh, like inner Sandmanish, right? Like dark, you know what I mean? And it's found heavily in, and it's it you can almost find it everywhere now, right? Because it's become so prevalent. But you know, that's just one of those things. Like I was trying to point out to like people have always known that music has the ability to control you and your emotions. And there's even certain chords, just the chord in and of itself, without lyrics, without, you know, any, without any other structure around it, can make you feel fucked up, right? Uh, so here is this one right here. This is from Mike.com. New research shows that listening to music actually alters your genes in surprising ways. Scientists have now have known for a while that listening to music has a bounty of physical and mental benefits. It reduces blood pressure, causes the release of dopamine, and even improves muscle function. Though music clearly affects your, our brain, scientists didn't know that it caused those mental changes on a molecular level until now. Scientists at the University of Helsinki made a, an amazing discovery published in Peer J that listening to classical music actually alters the function of your genes. Scientists took simple blood samples from a study from study participants, excuse me, before and after listening to Mozart's violin concerto number no. three in G major, K twelve, what K two one six. I don't really know what the fuck that means. Uh, scientists found that music directly affects human RNA, suggesting that listening to music has even a more surprising benefits than previously thought. It affects you at the very core of your biological being. So there it is right there. And if you think for a second that the fucking Jews in power and in control of this country and in control of our media apparatus don't know that, you're fucking retarded. If you think that they don't know that, 
and they're not trying to use that to their advantage, you're being obtuse, right? You're being willfully ignorant. You don't want to pay attention to it because it doesn't make you feel good or whatever. I don't know why you would ignore so, such like blatant uh, shit like this, right? But that's, the only, that's really the only explanation for stuff like this. When you see these direct lines and this obvious shit right in front of you, and then you ignore it, that's called being obtuse, right? That's called being willfully ignorant and, and just not wanting to, to talk about what's really going on, right? So that's what that is. Uh, and then here's a fucking another one. Uh, this one right here was really interesting to me. This one right here was really, 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 really interesting to me. Uh, so this one here... Music triggers the same part of the brain as heroin. What's up, Night Nation? How you doing, brother? Uh, music literally is like a fucking opioid. It's literally an opioid. It, it triggers the same receptors in your brain as opioids do. It is literally the opioid of the masses. It's not quite the same high, but it's highly related. Now, research shows that music triggers the exact same region of the brain as powerful opioids. Heroin, Oxycontin, and other powerful opioids trigger extremely powerful highs that we know. But the high delivered by music is highly correlated, according to research that is now emerging. And it turns out that music isn't like heroin. It's almost, I'm sorry, it turns out that music isn't like heroin. It's almost the same thing. And now there are scientific test results showing that the same regions of mechanisms of the brain are being affected. This is the first demonstration that the brain's own opioids are directly involved in musical pleasure. I mean, dude, if you really think, if you really think that fucking kikes don't know this and they're not using that to their, to their advantage to fucking break the brains of entire fucking generations, I mean, I don't really know, like, I, I don't know how to respond to that <laughs> you know, i don't know what to say to you if you can read all of that and know the way kikes control the media and see the media that comes out now in all of its forms news uh you know television movies or i'm sorry television series movies music and see the poison that, that filters out through all of those mediums and not realize that this is the kikes doing exactly what these last three fucking articles have said they're using that shit to their advantage It's 100% the case, you know, they curate our culture for us. What we see is not things that we choose to see. Whether we feel like we're in our agency when we choose those things or not, it's, it's not really in our control. So it's in that way, you, like you say, we can't really fault the boomers, can't fault our parents that much um, for a lot of this because it is designed to do what it has done, right? You can almost look at it as the extension of the Weimar, of Weimar Germany into 100%. the West. 100% is one of the main delivery systems, right? It's like, you know, drugs and, and things like this have to have, you know, they have to have like a delivery system, right? And music has been the, music and, and television have, have been the best, I mean, the ultimate delivery systems to poison and degeneracy into our civilization. And music come before TV, right? Music come before TV. Right. And think about how many times we've been warned about music. Think about that fucking disgusting faggot fucking Elvis. Right. I know that's going to hurt a lot of people's feelings, but Elvis played a big part in ruining this fucking country. 
He played a big part in breaking down taboos that existed in this country, shaking his disgusting, partially Jewish pelvis in the faces of young white women. That shit hadn't been done before. People hated that. They called it criminal. They wanted him arrested. Yeah, great friends with Dennis Hopper, an occultist. Dennis Hopper and Nick Adams were two really, like, devious people that a lot of people around them died. Um around those years 66 to 76 were years where many many people died overdoses and all that stuff and a lot of them were around dennis hopper and and uh nick adams they were members of the young turks peter fonda they produced uh, easy rider films and and believe it or not elvis hung out with these guys those are his like friends outside of his movie career when he was living in los angeles making all those movies so Weird. yeah it's it's real I actually did not know that. I just knew, you know, all of my uh, knowledge of, of Elvis, everything is just very surface level, just from observing his behavior and the um, uh, acceptable, uh, what, like mannerisms, right? The acceptable things, the behavior of that time and how he literally went out of his way to break down all of those taboos, right? Like that was what he was doing. That was his whole thing. You know, singing with disgusting negress choirs. He's just got these fat fucking she-boons up there fucking belting away on stage as he shakes his dick in the fucking face of, like, 14-year-old white girls. He's a very disgusting individual. Very disgusting. Yeah, and there's ties There's ties to organized crime, uh, you know, ties to Meyer Lansky and the, the development of uh, Las, Las Vegas. Um Around similar times, a lot of these, the money came from these places, got funded, funding came from organized crime, you know, like the, the CIA and FBI, they make their budgets off of scooping up money from gay ops. Yeah, what was that one group he was connected to? Wasn't it like the Memphis Mafia or some shit like that? He was connected to some group like that, had a, a Memphis name, Memphis some shit like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one, that one's gonna evade me, but I know what you're talking about. No, these people are all co- they're all signed off on, right? By by the system. Right? That's that's the thing. Like, no, it doesn't make sense that at a certain point in time, the only people with any musical talent in the world were the daughters and sons of the military and intelligence community, former Air Force officers, former Marines. Oh, dude, that's right? yeah, this, that's yeah. yeah, and that's where it gets real sticky, dude, because all of them are. Even all the way down to fucking Jerry Heller. I mean, <laughs> the, 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 the Jew who started Negro Gangster Rap was even in the military. And we're going to get into all that on the other side of the break. Uh, I think this is a perfect uh, way to separate the show. We'll go to break, and then on the other side of the break, we'll really get into the meat and potatoes of Laurel Canyon and the Grateful Dead. And I have a lot to say about the Grateful Dead because I actually have some experience with some of the Bear family. And that's what they call Grateful Dead uh, groupies, right? They call them the Bear family. And I have some a few stories to tell about those fucking weird motherfuckers. Um, so yeah, before we go to a uh, break, I do want to read off. There was some uh, some some uh, things that came through on Odyssey. And uh, did I put the power chat up there? I think the power chat tag. Yeah. Yeah, guys, if you want to get my attention, the power chat to get my attention. If not, um, I'm gonna start trying to make sure. I save like five or ten minutes at the end of each hour to make sure I go through and uh, have caught all of the super chats or whatever the fuck you want to call them. Odyssey donations. I'm waiting on him to pull up now. This thing's being a faggot. Hold on. 
Okay, here we go. Uh, Mr. White Tuber, thank you very much. Said Wignack Pride, I saw that. Uh, thank you, brother. Ascot Bro says, grab a license key from Sony. We got that one. Thank you, brother. Uh, Spiteful Mutants with, uh, says, excellent points, Johnny. This warrior is guilty of finding weak white men disgusting. Hell victory. Yeah, bro. It's hard not to, but we have to remember to be compassionate, right? We got to remember these are our people, right? This is our extended family. These are our brothers, our sisters, uh, you know, and even can be viewed as our aunts, uncles, you know what I mean? We all had that uh, best friend in, in, you know, elementary through high school who his mom was our mom. We called him mom. We have to see all of these people like that as our mothers, our sisters, our brothers, our daughters, our uncles, our aunts, right? They are. They're our people. And they've been broken and they've been abused and it's not their fucking fault. Not everybody's able to, to break the, you know, break the conditioning. <laughs> not everybody's able to break the conditioning, brother. And uh, I think we should keep that in mind and show them more compassion than uh, contempt. Just my opinion, man. But that's probably because I'm poor. <laughs> uh, Mr. WhiteTuber says, I have a lot to say about this. Well, hey, come on, brother. When you get on, uh, we'll, we'll come back around to it. Uh, thank you for the other, the other dollar, bro. Uh, DeWitt says white people are worth saving. They are, man. They are. Uh, and that being said, though, that being said, they are worth saving. I've said that before. Uh, those people are worth saving, 100%. But there are also some that uh, are worth a good rope. We'll say that. <laughs> you know what I mean? There, there's a, there's, we, cannot, we cannot ignore the fact that one of our uh, biggest obstacles are going to be um, white people. You know what I mean? When, you know, uh, on the battlefield, on the imaginary battlefield, the uh, hypothetical battlefield, we'll be staring at more white faces than we will be non-white faces. And that's unfortunate. But for those who uh, do not oppose us but just want to be left alone, the yeoman, those are our people, and they are worth saving for sure. Uh, you know, I've talked, at, to, I've talked for the past three years about Eric Rudolph. Uh, I don't know how many times i got to make that point, dude. Uh, those people who hid him from the feds for five years would have never, ever, like, funded or been a part of or condoned the blowing up of a abortion clinic. But they were willing to help a man who was doing it because they believed in his fight. All right? They believed in his fight more than they believed in the feds' right to capture him. All right? And that's what winning hearts and minds is about. Those people are worth saving. Uh, thank you very much, brother. Uh, Mario88, uh, for the question after you're finished. I don't know what that means, brother, but thank you. Uh, Herward Silvatisi says, The film score itself was a Jewish invention, starting with Edmund Meisels using music to give emotion to film. Interesting. That might be something we have to look into even further there, Herward. I did not know that. Thank you very much, brother. I appreciate it. Very uh, powerful right? If they're showing you images and they're giving you music that has the sort of impact that that study shows, at least as powerful as heroin, they're casting spells on you. This is one hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred fucking percent, bro. So to speak, right? So to speak, right? the, the the context of what we might maybe used to think of what a spell was when people didn't know any better. Now this is in your living room. You're you're clicking on it when you're clicking right, on yeah. Netflix. And I, I, I'll even go as far as because I, I don't give a fuck what people think about me saying this. They can think what they want. I will say not even so to speak. Quite fucking literally. Quite yeah. fucking literally. 
They are casting spells on you with the electronic Jew and music. Quite fucking literally. There's no, like, ostensibly or kind of, you know what I mean? No, that's what they're doing, dude, bro, 100%. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of what happens is they open up your what, what you other might uh, otherwise might find disgusting, or they reorient what you might find disgusting, and open you up to like really horrible experiences. They traumatize the person, and then they kind of encourage the person to figure out how to pass that on. So, people need to realize that our enemies are willing to hurt children, and people who would fight us are willing to defend those people. So we don't have to give them quarter. We don't have to feel bad, but to be accepted and seen as the people who are able to dictate the constraints, we have to be benevolent yep, and be seen to be as such. 100%, man. 100%. All right, family, we're going to go to break and we'll catch y'all on the other side. Thank you all very, very much for being here, man. I really appreciate it. We'll see y'all in a minute.
All right, and we are back. Thank you all very much for hanging out through the break. I hope you all enjoyed it. And we're going to get on back into this shit. Yeah, uh, DeWitt. <laughs> I like Larry's streams, too. I'll go over there and tell him I really like his streams when they're at the same time as mine. Those are my favorite. <laughs> tell him I said that. <laughs> tell Larry I said my favorite streams of his is when they're at the, at the exact same time as mine. <laughs> Fucking dickhead. Oh, uh, shit. I love Larry. But yeah, anyhow, guys, I hope y'all enjoyed the fucking break. Uh, yeah, where did we leave off there? Uh, yeah, that was... um, Fuck, what's the name of that band? The song Haymaker. It was Haymaker. First to Die is the name of the song by a group called Haymaker. Uh, what's the music called in the first? What do you mean, buddy? The, at the beginning of the show, my intro music is uh, it's Give Me Shelter remix by Zed's Dead, but I put all that American History X shit in there. So you can't really um, find that, really, I guess, outside. Like, I, can, I can send you like a MP3 version of it if you want me to. But you got to get a hold of me on uh, like Telegram. Other than that, the song at the break was First to Die by Haymaker. Uh, <laughs> is that what he said crematorium <laughs> uh, that's fucking funny uh what bit did I, <laughs> what bit did i steal from larry oh fucking larry anyhow back on into it uh so guys on the first half, we talked about music and its effect on the brain and how it affects your genes and all that other goofy shit, right? Uh, and here, before we get into Laurel Canyon and uh, the Grateful Dead and shit like that, I want to give you guys a quote. All of them. <laughs> the crematorium says all of them. Oh, uh, shit. Uh, Aldous Huxley predicted the drugs would one day become a humane alternative to flogging for rulers wishing to control... Uh, I can't even fucking pronounce this word. Control subjects, basically. Uh, Aldous Huxley predicted the drugs would one day become a humane alternative to flogging for rulers wishing to control their subjects. He wrote in a letter to his former student, George Orwell, in 1949. Uh, now psychoanalysis is being combined with hypnosis, and hypnosis is being made easy and indefinitely extensible through the use of barbiturates which induce a hypnoid and suggestible state in even the most reticent of subjects. Within the next generation, I believe that the world's rulers will discover that infinite conditioning and narco-hypnosis are more effective as an instrument of government than clubs and prisons, and the lust for power can be just as completely satisfied by suggesting people into loving their servitude as by flogging and kicking them into obedience. That was from Aldous Huxley, basically sitting there saying that it's easier to get people high and retarded than it is to to beat them into submission. We still got you there, Akila. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, important okay. to uh, I think to note that Huxley, along with Bertrand Russell, uh, Hannah Arendt, these people were uh, provide a lot of philosophy and the underpinnings for the Open Society. George Soros, uh, the way we run schools now, for example, was heavily, heavily influenced by Aldous Huxley. Um, and, uh, for example, his granddaughter was involved in the Laurel Canyon scene. 
Um, right. So, so these are extensions of the same groups of people, the same family lines and, and all that. So it all ties together once again. Um, but Huxley, you know, was a, a big proponent of, uh, uh, he, of uh, you know, the, of, of drugs, drug use, um, experimenting with LSD. Uh, he wrote a book called um, The Doors of Perception to Heaven and Hell. Uh, and that was where, you know, they got the, the name for the band, The Doors, um, you know, et cetera. So, yeah, these they, they mainstreamed this stuff uh, on purpose and they planned it in advance, it, it seems. Uh, so. Sorry, guys, I was muted. Thank you guys very much. Sorry. What I was saying is we've this is common. This is like a ancient knowledge, right? It's always been known that drugs are associated with like a more spiritual realm, right? Um, drugs have always been used in spiritual rituals from Christianity to paganism to shit, you know, that's not even around anymore. Like all religions have always used drugs to reach a higher state of consciousness for lack of a better term that's that's the way they would explain it right so people have always known that these these substances are 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 uh windows into another thing right and those things coupled with music are a guaranteed way to control people without force right to control people without force uh, worship in church with with music with stringed instruments or 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 instruments right it was it used to be only only uh voice and there's a lot of churches that say that now still um that you shouldn't uh worship it worship god um through you know musical expression only only singing um and so well, there's and probably reasons for that too purity and, and things like that right well and that's also why a lot of like um sermons are given in the form of song right like they will they will like i went to a lutheran church a couple times a while back and that's how they gave a large portion of their sermon right it was like singing the verses like this you know what i mean like you know what i mean they were just like where you would normally read it they were like singing it out i don't know how to say it but that's why yeah. song is so important like they say to sing to god and you know there are all these like you know uh song music and song has always been a very very spiritual thing man so they always knew that that was a way to influence and control people. But uh, before we get into Laurel Canyon, I want to talk about the Grateful Dead a little bit. Uh, so um, Grateful Dead, everybody knows who they are, you know, driving that train. Hi, Uncle Kane. Uh, what's the guy's name? Jerry Garcia, the Bear Family, the Dancing Bears. Everybody knows who they are, right? Uh, everybody pretends to like their shitty music. But nobody really does, <laughs> and uh, they are a—they were a huge part in spreading LSD around the country. Um, I have actually had a lot of interactions with members of the Bear family, and uh, a while back there was like um, this wasn't even that long ago. I think this was around like two thousand 
uh, 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there, there were rumors that, so there was a, there were rumors that they had like an LSD lab underneath Mulberry Mountain and that it was raided by the feds because there used to be a festival held there called Wakarusa and Wakarusa was raided uh, because it's known that the Bear family was big at Wakarusa and it's just, they're like LSD traffickers, right? That's what they are. They're drug dealers, right? The Bear family traffics in some of the most high quality LSD you can find in the country. And I've dealt with a lot of these guys, man. They're total fucking scumbags. Uh, and yeah, they were like one of the Grateful Dead's uh, managers. Uh, here, let's get on into it. So it's also notable that two individuals with the Great- Grateful Dead were once employees of the CIA. Uh, band member and lyricist Robert Hunter and author Ken Kesey uh, whose merry pranksters were often at the Grateful Dead shows promoting LSD to use at the Deadheads. Casey's novel, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, promoted the archaic revival by concluding... Uh, the, so the archaic revival is an idea. It's a Terrence McKenna uh, thing. Uh, Terrence McKenna's thing was the archaic revival. I don't really remember a whole much about it. Did you get into any of that when you was reading about this shit? The archaic revival with Terrence McKenna? No, you know what? I missed that. Yeah, well, I, I don't think it's part of I don't think it's part of uh, the, the Laurel Canyon thing. Uh, but there's this uh, Alan Trist, right? Alan Trist was the uh, manager. So they had this guy who wrote uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and this other guy, Robert Hunter, that both worked for the CIA, that worked uh, that toured with the Grateful Dead, and then you had uh, Alan Trist, whose father. Guess who Alan Trist's father was, brother? Guess, take, a, take a fucking guess. Who? Eric Trist, oh. one of the founders of the Tavistock Institute. Hey, there you go. Wow. Mm, imagine that. So the Grateful hey. Dead's manager's dad was one of the founders of the Tavistock Institute, and two of the people of their fucking roadies were CIA members, and they're just funneling LSD all over the fucking country. And we know for a fact that the Tavistock Institute was the extension of the Frankfurt School. 100%. That is, that is an undeniable truth. Uh, and also, uh, just as a quick aside, uh, the guy who popularized Magic Mushrooms, this has nothing to do with the music. I just put this in my notes as a little side because I thought it was interesting. The guy who po- popularized Magic Mushrooms, psilocybin mushrooms, is a guy by the name of Gordon, Wash- Gordon Wasson. He was the chairman of the Council on Foreign Relations and vice president of public relations for J.P. Morgan Bank. Wow. (laughs) And he wrote an article about magic mushrooms that was uh, published in Life and I think uh, Time magazine. So there's that. Uh, But so there's that. That's, uh, you know, just a little uh, some stuff I wanted to touch on about how uh, all of these people, even outside of Laurel Canyon, Right, the Grateful Dead, the guy who fucking popularized magic mushrooms, all of these people are a part of the system. All of them. Now we're going to get on into motherfucking Laurel Canyon. And this is where shit gets really, really fucking interesting. Because it's one of those things, man. It's like, you know, if these motherfuckers, you know, parents were like just fucking army grunts, right? Or some fucking random soldier in the Marines, it wouldn't be such a thing. But these are like the, the fucking sons and daughters of like chemical engineers at the Edgewood Arsenal, uh, you know, naval admirals who were responsible for getting us into major wars that we got our asses kicked in, uh, you know, things like that. You know what I mean? Uh, so 
Let me get on down into here. Let me find where we're at. All right, I got this thing up here. Do you want anything? You got anything you want to lead off with, or do you want me to just start off with this article? Um, go for it, man. All right, so this is an article uh, from Winter Watch. I don't even know what the fuck that is, but all this stuff is taken directly from uh, the book uh, Weird Seeds Inside the Canyon, uh, written by David McGowan. Dave McGowan. And all this stuff is verified. This isn't like conjecture or shit he's like making up. This is all 100% true shit. Uh, so... Uh, in a geographically isolated community known as Laurel Canyon, a heavily wooded rustic community uh, nestled in the hills of L.A., separate from Los Angeles Basin, uh, <clears throat> music's, musicians, singers, and songwriters suddenly began to gather as though summoned there by some unseen Pied Piper. Within months, the hippie flower child movement will begin there, along with, new, along with a new style of music that will provide the soundtrack for a tumultuous section, second half of the 1960s. It was... It was the major record labels, not upstart independents, that signed Laurel Canyon's newly formed band. It was the major labels that provided them with the instruments and the amplifiers. It was the major labels that provided them with the studio time and the sessions and the session session musicians. Excuse me. And for those of you who don't know, session musicians are musicians that they hire for people who can't play music, right? Like if you're if you fancy yourself a songwriter. You can write your stupid fucking song and go and hire session, session musicians to play the music as you sing, right, or whatever. So that's what a session that, musician is. That's another Elvis connection. Elvis is, Elvis' backup band. Elvis's band was widely known as one of the best backup bands, the best session bands. And Phil Spector had them play on a lot of albums, a lot of records. So a lot of the old 60s music you hear is actually Elvis's band on the record. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah. So, uh, where are we at? Uh, the bands themselves were initially lacking in skilled musicians and were very manufactured. It was the major labels that recorded, mixed, and arranged their albums. It was the major labels that released and heavily promoted the albums. It was not to be left out of the corporate titans of all three branches of the mainstream media. Print, radio, and television did their part to help out the titans of the record industry. Thus, we once more... Uh, we see once more that such movements were not organic, basically saying that this whole thing was manufactured. Uh, That's right. Despite being counterculture threats, these band members were never busted for long on any drug charges. Nobody was ever drafted to the Vietnam War, and the bands were largely indifferent to the anti-war movement. There were large numbers of very strange deaths in the scene as well. During the years of its heyday, Laurel Canyon's father figure and its rather eccentric, it was a rather eccentric personality known as Frank Zappa, Though he and his very the, though he and his various mothers of invention lineups will never attain the commercial success of other of some of the other bands, Zappa will be hugely influential among his other contemporaries. Somehow, at age twenty five, Zappa had ensconced himself in an adobe dubbed the Log Cabin, which sat right in the heart of Laurel Canyon at the crossroads of Laurel Canyon Boulevard and Lookout Mountain. Uh, Lookout Mountain Avenue, excuse me. Zappa will play host to virtually every musician who passes through Laurel Canyon in the mid, mid to late 1960s. The log cabin was a cavernous five-level home that featured a 2,000-square-foot living room. That's bigger than my house. or Right around the same size as my fucking entire house. That's his fucking living room. Uh, sure. With three massive chandeliers and an enormous floor-to-ceiling fireplace. This is a fucking vagabond, allegedly, uh, a 25-year-old, uh, you know, hippie, allegedly. 
Uh, Zappa will also discover and sign many, many acts to his various Laurel Canyon-based record labels, including Psychedelic Rocker, uh, Al- uh, sorry, Psychedelic Shock Rocker, Alex Cooper. Alice Cooper, excuse me, not Alex. Alice Cooper, who will go on to superstardom. So Frank Zappa even discovered and signed Alice Cooper. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Another Jew. Uh, yeah. Zappa, Zappa also was a Jew as well. Uh... Frank Zappa never really made secret of the fact that he had nothing to do, nothing but contempt for the hippie culture that he helped create. He surrounded himself and and surrounded himself with. By numerous accounts, he was rigidly authoritarian. He was a rigidly authoritarian con- control freak, a supporter of the U.S. military actions in Southeast Asia. As a ringmaster who always wanted to be in control, he never used drugs. Zappa's father, Francisco, also had little regard for the youth culture of the 1960s. He was a chemical warfare specialist. Assigned to the Edgewood Arsenal. That's Frank Zappa's dad. He was a chemical warfare specialist assigned to the Edgewood Arsenal. Uh, the longtime, uh, Edgewood is a longtime home of America's chemical warfare program, as well as a facility frequently cited as being deeply immersed in MKUltra operations. Curiously yeah, enough, want, go ahead. I just no, want to fire off. Edgewood is in Virginia. Okay, so it's very much in the D.C. area, and most of these people are from that area, Virginia. Like like a large swath, like John Phillips, Jim Morrison, um, John Phillips from Mom and the Papas. Um, anyways, it, the list goes on. So there's like many, like Virginia is the East Coast hub, it seems, for most of the people coming over uh, to, to Laurel Canyon at that point. Yeah, and it just seems awful convenient that the son of a chemical warfare agent is seen as, like, the father of all these hippies who are spreading fucking LSD all around the fucking country. Mr. Whitetuber, is that you? This shit. Yeah, how come nobody knows about this shit, though? It's, like, so fucking obvious and shit. Oh, because people want, people want to, to, to poo-poo it. Right, people want to 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 shy it down and say, "Oh, that's just conjecture. You're making connections where there aren't any." When literally all of these people are directly fucking connected, directly connected. Like I said earlier, this isn't like degrees of separation. These are people who are directly connected to one another. Right. Yeah, I was listening. They were like fucking personal friends. It's such such a, such a slick, bro. You know? Yeah, they they and were now our, our fucking entire society is shaped by this goddamn MK Ultra fucking shit. Yes, one hundred percent. Our entire society is brains are broken from entertainment and drugs, and that is what these people peddled: uh, degenerate entertainment and drugs. That was their modus operandi. I know so many like fucking Gen Xers and shit who just smoke dope, play golf, and go to work. That's it. Period. You know, the fucking sports. Just don't give a fuck. Like you were saying earlier, they don't care. You know what I mean? All they want to do is their shit and chill. You know, and that's how the the dude gets in there so deep, man. Takes advantage of that. Yep. All right. Uh, Here we go. Uh, Curiously, Frank Zappa grew up at the Edgewood Arsenal, having lived seven years of his life in military housing on the grounds at the facility. Family move, later moved to Lancaster, California, near Edwards Air Force, ba- Air Force Base, where Frank, where Francis Zappa continued to busy himself with doing classified work for the military intelligence complex. His son, meanwhile, prepped himself up to become an icon in the peace and love crowd. Later in life, Zappa went off the rails and spoke frankly about his role as an actor in this charade and provided insight into what was going on, going down in the real world. 
Like Dave McGowan, Zappa died of a virulent form of cancer at the age of 52. So here's a quote from Frank Zappa. Uh, the illusion of freedom will continue as long as it's profitable to continue the illusion. At the point where the illusion becomes too expensive to maintain, they will just take down the scenery and they will pull back the curtains and they will move the tables and chairs out of the way and you will see the brick at the wall at the back of the theater. Kind of like what we're saying now. Kind of like what we're seeing now. Remember how we're always saying they're going mask off, right? Yeah, uh, yeah politics is the entertainment division of the military-industrial complex. That's another quote from Frank Whoa. Zappa. Who said that? Uh, Frank Zappa. So and here's Politics some other. Is the entertainment division of the military industrial complex that we said? Yep. Yep. Wow. Yep. Zappa's manager, a shady Jewish character by the name of Herb Cohen, who had come out to LA from the Bronx with his brother Mutt <laughs> just before the music and club scene began heating up. Cohen, a former U.S. Marine, had spent a few years traveling the world before his arrival on the U Laurel Canyon scene. Those travels, curiously, had taken him into the Congo in 1961. At the very time, the leftist prime minister, Patrice Lumumba, was being tortured and killed by the CIA. Not to worry, though, according to one of Zappa's biographers, Cohen wasn't in the Congo on some kind of nefarious intelligence mission. No, he was there, believe it or not, to supply arms to Lumumba in defiance of the CIA, because, you know, that's the kind of thing the globetrotting ex-Marines did in those days. This is just editorializing by the... Uh, whoever wrote the article there. Uh... Making up the first family of Laurel Canyon uh, is Frank's wife, Gail Zappa, known formerly as Abadell Slopeman. Gail hails from a long line of career naval officers, including her father, who spent his life working on classified nuclear weapons research for the U.S. Navy. Gail herself once worked as a secretary for the, naval, uh, for the Office of Naval Research and Development. She also once told an interviewer that she heard voices all of her life. <laughs> She's a schizo Jew. Many years before their, their nearly simultaneous arrival in Laurel Canyon, Gail had attended a naval kindergarten with Mr. Mojo Risen himself, Jim Morrison. It is also claimed that as children, Gail once hit Jim over the head with a hammer. I don't know what that means, but the very same Jim Morrison that later attended the same Alexandria, Virginia high school as two other future Laurel Canyon luminaires, John Phillips and Cass Elliott. Jim Morrison of the Doors' father, George S. Morrison, commanded the fleet during the Gulf of Tonkin incident that led to the escalation of the Vietnam huh. War. Aboard no the way. I yeah, that before. that's kind of the most mind blowing uh, so fact in all of this. It's so fucked. Like this, at that point, his father was running the biggest um, gay op that one of the biggest gay ops ever, and he was turning around and becoming the face of a counterculture movement and supposedly an anti-war movement. There's a picture in 1964 of him, of Jim Morrison on the deck of one of these ships with his uh, father in a crew cut less than a year from when he, the, the, he first joined and started the doors and went to Laurel Canyon less than a year from then on, on the, on the deck of one of these ships in a crew cut. Right. So, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit convenient, let's say. Well, yeah, and then it's going to go on, and I'm, I'm sure it mentions this in this article, uh, but it's going to probably, if it doesn't, I'll tell you right now, the motherfucker had no musical talent. He, was, he wasn't like a, 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 stri a struggling musician, right, through the years. He just popped up and became this musical superstar. Yeah, no, none of these guys weirdo shit. Yeah. It's just none weird of, none of the doors could relate to 
play their instruments at all. Yeah, none of them were, 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 were musicians. They, they kind of showed up and they just started banging away. This is where the uh, advantage of having uh, session musicians and stuff do their recording right. for them. Yeah. Right. I, I want to read an important excerpt from, I've got the book here in front of me. So I just wanted to read a really important excerpt that's, excerpt that's going to help characterize this a little bit further and more deeply. Um, so what, this is a kind of the, the part where they talk about the history of Laurel Canyon before the hippies started to show up. So what would become known as Lookout Mountain Laboratory was originally envisioned as a fortified air defense center built in 1941 and nestled in two and a half secluded acres off what is now Wonderland and Park Avenue. The installation was hidden from view and surrounded by an electrified fence. By 1947, the facility featured a fully operational movie studio. In fact, it is claimed that that it, it is claimed that it was the world's only completely self-contained movie studio with 100,000 square feet of floor space. The, covert, the covert studio included sound stages, screening rooms, film processing labs, editing facilities, an animation department, and 17 climate-controlled film vaults. It also had a helicopter pad and a bomb shelter. Over its lifeline, lifetime, the studio produced some, some 19,000 classified motion pictures, more than all the Hollywood studios combined, which I guess makes Laurel Canyon the real motion picture capital of the world. Officially, the facility was run by the U.S. Air Force and did nothing more than nothing more nefarious than process AEC footage of atomic and nuclear bomb tests. The studio, however, was clearly equipped to do far more than just process film. There are indications that Lookout Mountain Laboratory had an advanced research and development department that was on the cutting edge of new film technologies. Such technological advances as 3D effects were apparently first developed at the Laurel Canyon, Canyon site, and Hollywood luminaries like John Ford, Jimmy Stewart, Howard Hawks, Ronald Reagan, Bing Crosby, Walt Disney, Hedda Hopper, and Marilyn Monroe were given clearance to work at the facility on undisclosed projects. There's no indication that any of them ever spoke of their work at the clandestine studio. The Fonda's too, Peter and Jane Fonda, I think had that same uh, security clearance. Yeah, that was a huge uh, propaganda studio, right? That's what they did there. They made military propaganda films and like you said, classified movies. We don't know what those classified movies were, right? We don't know if any of those classified movies they made might've been, might've become uh hollywood, cla hits. hollywood hey, classics man. exactly hollywood classics Hello, maybe, yeah. maybe uh what's the what's the one uh mary poppins isn't that the one where they got like the jewish guys sweeping the roof and bitching about how they're uh or no that's the fiddler on the roof never mind <laughs> never mind <laughs> that's not the same thing what's the fiddler on the roof from is that the play Super in and of itself yeah, it's a play. yeah that's the play in and of itself it, but it's about it you right the filler on the roof is about hot tin roof tennessee williams is a play and then filler on the roof is uh some jewish bullshit yeah um just real quick uh before i stop on that tip, uh, the facility there. retained as many as 250 producers directors technicians editors animators etc both civilian and military all with top clearances all reporting to work in a secluded corner of laurel canyon accounts vary yeah. as to when the facility ceased operation some claim it was 1969 while others say the facility remained in operation longer in any event by all accounts, a secret bunker had been up and running for more than 20 years before Laurel Canyon's rebellious teen years, and it remained operational for the most turbulent of those years. So um, something else that I just want to say before I let you, uh, you keep going, John, was that um, in the history of this, uh, they talk about Harry Houdini. Harry Houdini um, lived in Laurel Canyon, like originally, and um, it's been proven that he was uh, a, a secret, an agent for Scotland Yard. 
Um, and so he was like an intelligence agent himself. And so what it does is it kind of like lets us see that, um, in that area, for whatever reason, they had a lot of people who were both musicians and entertainers and actors, um, using those, um, those careers as fronts for intelligence work and not the other way around. A lot of people think that these people are kind of just like thrown in and then take advantage of like it was somehow organic and then co-opted. But in reality, these people were chosen and placed there. Right. Yeah, 100%. Yes, they were carefully handpicked and put in those positions, 100%. And just to kind of expound on Lookout Mountain being shut down, uh, just because Lookout Mountain was shut down didn't mean they didn't build an, ex- uh, an identical facility somewhere, somewhere else, else, right? We all, we, you have to remember that every major motion picture studio has a CIA liaison. Yes. Their movies have to be approved by the, okay, the CIA has to say, okay, yeah, you can put that out. Just like China and shit. Yeah, look that shit up. Yeah, look that shit up on your own. Every major motion picture studio has a CIA liaison. Uh, so here we go. Jim Morrison, father of the door. Okay, yeah, 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 we did all that. Um, so it says Morrison commanded the American naval forces in the Gulf when the destroyer Maddox engaged three North Vietnamese torpedo boats on August second, nineteen sixty four. A skirmish and confused reports of a second engagement two days later led to President Lyndon B. Johnson to order airstrikes against North Vietnam and to request form of Congress, or I'm sorry, to request from Congress what became known as the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution, allowing him to carry out further military oper- operations without declaring war. Morrison had no real interest in his music, nor did he play any instruments. The first to drop an album from Laurel Canyon were the Birds, whose biggest star would prove to be David Crosby. The band's debut effort, Mr. Tam- effort, excuse me, Mr. Tambourine Man, will be released on the summer solstice of 1965. It will quickly be followed by the releases from John Phillips-led Mamas and the Papas, If You Can Believe Your Eyes and Ears, on January 1966, Love with Arthur Lee. Uh, May 1966, Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention with Freak Out in June of 1966, Buffalo Springfield uh, featuring Stephen Stills, Jesus Christ, white uh, featuring Stephen Stills, oh, fuck it, uh, and Neil Young, uh, Buffalo Springfield, 1966, and The Doors in January of 1967, Papa John Phillips, more so than probably any of the other of the illustrious residents of Laurel Canyon, will play a major role in spreading the emerging youth counterculture across America. His contribution will be twofold. First, he will co-organize, along with Manson associate Terry Melcher, the famed Monterey Pop Music Festival, which, through unprecedented media exposure, will give mainstream America its first real look at the music and fashions of the hippie movement. Second, Phillips will pin an insipid song known as San Francisco, Be Sure to Wear Flowers in Your Hair, uh, which will quickly rise to the top of the charts, along with Monterey Pop Festival. Song, the song will be, an instrumental, will be instrumental excuse me, in luring the de- disenfranchised to San Francisco to create the hate-ashbury phenomenon of, 19, of the 1967 Summer of Love. Uh, John Edmund Andrew Phillips was... Yet another child of the military-industrial complex. I'm sorry, military-intelligence complex. The son of U.S. Military Corps Captain Claude Andrew Phillips 
and mother who claimed to have psychic and telekinetic powers. <laughs> John attended a series of elite military prep schools in Washington, D.C., in the Washington, D.C. In, in the Washington, D.C. area, culminating in an appointment to the prestigious U.S. Naval Academy at Annapolis. After leaving Annapolis, John marries Susie Adams, a direct descendant of founding father John Adams. Susie's father, James Adams Jr., had been involved in what Susie described as cloak-and-dagger stuff with the Air Force in Vienna, or what we like to call covert intelligence operations. Susie herself would later find employment at the Pentagon alongside John Phillips' older sister, Rosie, who dutifully reported to work at the complex for nearly 30 years. John's mother, Danae Phillips, also worked most of her life for the federal government in some unspecified capacity. Before succeeding in his music career, musical career, however, Phillips did see himself, did seem to find himself, quite innocently, of course, in some rather unusual places. One such place was Havana, Cuba, where Phillips arrived at the very height of the Cuban Revolution. Yet another of Laurel Canyon's brightest stars, Mr. Stephen Stills, uh, Stills was... Stills will have the distinction of being a founding member of two of Laurel Canyon's most acclaimed and beloved bands, Buffalo Springfield and Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Before his arrival in Laurel Canyon, Stills was the product of yet another career military family. Raised partly in Texas, young Stevens spent large swaths of his childhood in El Salvador, Costa Rica, the Panama and the Panama Canal Zone, and and various other parts of Central America, alongside his father, who was we can be briefly certain helping to spread democracy to the unwashed masses in that endearing American way. As with the rest of our cast of characters, Stills was educated primarily at schools on military bases and at elite military academies. Among his contemporaries in Laurel Canyon, he was widely viewed as having an abrasive authoritarian personality. Stephen will later tell anyone who will sit and listen that he served time for Uncle Sam in the jungles of Vietnam. David Crosby, founding members of the seminal Laurel Canyon band, The Birds, as well, of course, as well, of course, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, is another coincidence. The son of Annapolis graduate and World War II military intelligence officer, Major Floyd Delfield, Delafield Crosby. Like others in this story, Floyd Crosby spent most of his pers- post-service time traveling the world, including the 1927 Marine Corps occupation of Haiti. Uh, David Van in there and did a number on those Haitian Haitian people. U.S. Marines stormed the beach and fucked them up really bad and occupied that for like I think ten years more. Yeah, yeah. I don't know much about. I didn't know much about it. Uh, um, just real quick, uh, while while I've interrupted you, I just wanted to uh, point out and highlight the fact that John Phillips, that was just previously referred to, was um, an incestuous pedophile. So he raped, I think, three of his daughters and impregnated at least Mackenzie Phillips, one of his own daughters. So disgusting, fucking wretched human being. No, bro, please feel free to interrupt me at any time. I'm just reading through this thing. If you have anything you want to stop on, please just jump in there and I'll and I'll, I'll what, what, what are you reading? That one in to provide some context. I think it's really important to understand how evil these people are. Uh, you know. Here, let me bring up the what screen that, share. What's that guy even reading? I'm going to bring up the screen share. It's an article from... Uh, here, I can also post it in the... It actually is an excerpt. I think what you are reading, if I'm not mistaken, is either the foreword or the uh, 
preface of the actual book. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, all right, so here we are. Now we're at... Where are we at? Okay, yeah, David... Van Cordlant Crosby, as it turns out, is a scion of the closely interviewed or intertwined Van Cordant, Van Schoiler, Van Rensselaer families. If you plug those names in over at Wikipedia, you can spend a pretty fair amount of time reading up on the power wielded by the clan for at least two quarter centuries or so. Uh, suffice to say that. Hold on a second. Suffice it to say that the Crosby family tree. Uh, Includes a truly dithering array of U.S. senators and congressmen, state senators and assemblymen, governors, mayors, judges, Supreme Court justices, revolutionary and Civil War generals, signers of the Declaration of Independence, and members of the Continental Congress. It also includes uh, more than a few high-ranking Freemasons. Stephen Von Rassler, for example, reportedly served as Grand Master Mason of New York. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Another shining... Stephen Rensselaer, the third being the um, head of Freemason in New York, realized that New York and the power and influence that Jews have. So this would have been the person that like Manhattan, New York Jews, American Jews would have had to like deal with to deal with Masons who were uh, sort of representing our most subversive elite private citizens. So really like crucial to realize that there was a probably a deep relationship there between like Manhattan Jews and specifically Rensselaer and New York Freemasons. Hell yeah. Says here, another shining star on the Laurel Canyon scene. Just a few years later will be singer songwriter Jackson Brown, who is the product of career of a career military family. Brown's father was assigned to before you go into Jackson Brown, um, uh, David Crosby, is a direct descendant of Alexander Hamilton. So Fashy Games was going off about Hamilton, how Hamilton basically fucked America into being a capitalist shithole, you know, or laid, laid the foundation for the capitalism that's exploited the country. Um, so yeah, Crosby is a direct descendant. Oh, wow, Sorry. yeah. It didn't, no, it, it alluded to that, but it didn't say that specifically. It just said like a bunch of, uh, you know, it said governor, Supreme Court justice, president, senator, blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, it didn't say that specifically, but that's interesting. Oh, yeah, it does, right down here at the end. At the okay, end. We, we hadn't got there yet. It says, uh, and if all that isn't, isn't impressive enough, according to the New England Gene Genealogical Society, David Van Corlant Crosby is also a direct descendant of founding father and Federalist Papers author Alexander Hamilton and John Jay. And John Jay. Wow. And John Jay. Crazy. Wicked. Fucking wicked. So, uh, yeah, so uh, Jackson Brown's father was assigned to post-war reconstruction work in Germany, so he was a part of the denazification program, which uh, very likely means he was an employee of the OSS, a precursor to the CIA. Mike Nysmith of the Monkees and Corey Wells of Three Dog Night Two more hugely successful Laurel Canyon bands both arrived in L.A. not long after serving time with the U.S. Air Force. Neesmith also inherited a family fortune estimated at $25 million. Graham Parsons, who had briefly replaced David Crosby in The Birds before fronting the Flying Burrito Brothers, was a son of Major Cecil Ingram, or Coon Dog, Connor II, a decorated military officer and bomber pilot who reportedly flew over 50 combat missions. Parsons was also an heir on his mother's side 
to a formidable Snively family fortune, said to be the wealthiest family in the exclusive enclave of Winter Haven, Florida. The Snively family was proud owner of Snively Groves, Inc., which reportedly owned as much of a third of all citrus groves in the state of Florida. Boom. And that's the end of that article there, guys. So if you all have anything you want to add, that's uh, that's the end of my thing there. And just go, I, I hope people can realize with everything we went through from fucking beginning to end over these last two hours, that there's a direct line here. This isn't conjecture. This isn't like, you know, tying things together that have nothing to do with one another. These are direct lines, direct connections, and uh, uh, an obvious... Uh, 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 an obvious program of subversion that was laid out by the U.S. government and Jews. Yeah. Um. So, uh, I think there's some interesting things that are kind of you could extrapolate from this, or that are adjacent. So, I think it's important to realize that the author here uh, obviously isn't our guy. He kind of alludes to the fact that he's a normie, um, but also sort of presents things with a sort of like um, like an NRX or kind of frame, you know, like a, um, almost like an Alex Jones kind of worldview, um, you know, where Freemasons are as responsible for, you know, uh, uh, like our, the subversion of the West as Jews and, uh, you know, China, like that kind of kind of kind of thought process um like the kind of people that say like hitler to, uh, took rothschild's money or that hitler was a jew that that sort of whole worldview so he kind of presents two edges in in the book he doesn't tell you exactly where to go uh with it but he kind of gives you the edges lets you know hey i'm a liberal so i you know i believe in the hippie shit and then also like look at all this conspiracy this must be sort of uh you know, white supremacy or whatever. It's kind of what 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 I think a lot of Black Lives Matter people would point to and call white supremacy. You know, is, is these these people's families and the influence in uh, and throughout America. Um, so there is a couple of moments where he in before his fascism or kind of shits on um, fascism when he starts to talk about uh, the Manson family, even Frank Zappa a little bit and. Uh, uh, sort of how, what their influence was like, where they were influenced. So like uh, things like uh, Robert Heinlein's art, uh, work, like we talked about before, that that sort of produced uh, rigid uh, ideologies like um, Scientology, which people wouldn't normally associate with hippie culture, right? And so um, I, one of the things that James Mason sort of infers that never really quite comes out and says about Charles Manson and something that we might infer if we're looking at... Um, Mason's perspective is that Charles Manson seems to have sort of uh, wandered into Laurel Canyon without being placed there. He seems to be sort of this no. like no, almost like a same character. Um, so, okay, correct me, John. Sorry. Go ahead. No, uh, I, 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 <laughs> your first mistake was listening to anything James Mason said. Uh, yeah. But well, no, Charles Manson, Charles Manson. No, Charles Manson's, uh, God, you guys have to go back and watch the Manson and Shamir episode. I cover all this. Charles Manson's probation officer was highly tied into uh, the government, right? And he allowed Charles Manson to repeatedly violate parole. Charles Manson, like I said earlier, was a part of Jolly West's experiments. He was in that area. He was right. there. He was put there for a fucking reason. Right. Okay. Uh, he, he, had, he had been there. Right. The fact that he had traveled into Laurel Canyon isn't a big surprise when he's already in the Bay Area, already active in that scene and a major figure in that scene and, and being used as a tool in that scene. Right. So it, 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 it doesn't track 
for me that he just ended up there when we know all of these other things about the people that were handling him, right? We know that his, his, pro, his probation officer was a handler that allowed him to repeatedly violate his parole and get right back out. Uh, there's, even, uh, there's even suggestions. Now, this isn't proven, but there's even suggestions that he was in a prison at the same time that they had one of their uh, psychologists, uh, one of the government psychologists doing experiments in this prison. So there's even yep. there's even there's even rumors that he was being handled as far back as before he got out of prison, right? But then he yep. gets then he gets out of prison, gets specifically put in this one probation officer's uh su- supervision, right? And then is allowed to repeatedly violate parole and get back out. And he's and he's always at uh, Jolly West clinic. He's always staying at Jolly West's house. So it, it seems to me that he's bouncing back and forth between uh, MK Ultra hotspots his entire fucking time in the Bay Area. He's at Jolly West Clinic. He's at Jolly West House. He's at Laurel Canyon. He's at Jolly West Clinic. He's at Jolly West House. He's at Laurel Canyon. He's at right. the Beatles Mansion that he stayed with the Terry Melcher, right? So all of these places are directly connected, right? It's like... You know, like when you have a group of buddies, right? When you have a group of friends, right? You guys are always at one another's house, right? It's not weird for you to be at your buddy Jimmy's house, right? And it's not weird for you and Jimmy to be at Joey's house because y'all all hang out, right? So you don't just end up there by accident. You went over there with your bros because y'all hang out together. You're all a part of the same circle, right? That's the way I would look at it. Uh, I do want to touch on something that Night Nation said here, though. Uh, And also, I, I don't... The reason uh, my brain turns off a lot of the time when guys like McGowan and them go into the uh, Freemason thing, not that I think Freemasons are uh, clean or or, uh, unworthy of ridicule, but I think that Freemasonry is used as a distraction tool to keep people's eyes off Jews. That's just my, that's my opinion. I think they throw Freemasonry out there to keep you away from paying attention to Jewish power. Uh, because yeah. Jews have done a thousand times more damage to this country than any Freemason. Uh, but I, I do well, want to read. Freemasons are Jewish power, too, you know? Yeah, to a degree, yeah. Before we move on, just to, to finish my thought around Mason, I appreciate you correcting me because it characterizes what he presents about Mason, about Manson, right? That if he's saying that, and this is my sort of characterization of what he's saying, but if he's saying that that Charles Manson is like the only person who kind of took the hippie ideology all the way to its logical conclusion, which ultimately would be like his versions of universalism that, that Mason promoted and uh, like national socialism. So like the swastika and that sort of thing, um, it stands to reason that, you know, these ideas aren't necessary or, or Mason's version of them or Mason himself or whatever, that these things aren't necessarily free of this sort of influence, you know, this sort of cure, like a, a curating of culture. Right. So, you know, it's, it, I don't want to speculate too hard there, but my point of bringing that up was, as you say, is to kind of like cast a little bit of uh, doubt on Mason's characterization of Charles Manson. Uh, yeah, uh, 100%. Uh, the unknown known says Freemasonry is Jewish. Yeah, there is heavy, heavy, uh, like, Kabbalistic uh, influence in Freemasonry, 100%. I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. Um, I want to read uh, Night Nation. I did get your power chat. For some reason, it didn't do the bit. It didn't do the bling thing. Uh, so hey. I want. Hey, what's up? Is that you, Night Nation? <laughs> hey, that's me. How you doing? I'm hey, glad you up, jumped bro? on, I'm dude. Good. I'm glad hey, you dude, jumped hey, on. Hey, hey, Fash. How you guys doing? I'm great, bro. What's up, bro? Uh, 
I yeah. just want to throw a little something on your fire here because this is well, this hold is on. segment. Hold on. on, hold on, hold on. I want I want to interrupt because I think you're about to do this. I read your super chat, and I know a lot about Shuglin. So Shuglin wrote a really good book that I like. It's called Trip to Means I've Come to Love. Have you ever heard of this book? Oh yeah, I have. I actually had both of them way back in the day. I lost one of them, and I only have one of them mm-hmm. left. But yeah, it's it's this whole like Bible that has all these uh, recipes for how to synthesize all these drugs. Yeah, the mag- the Magic Seven, right, or the Magnificent Seven, right? That isn't that where two C E and two C I and two C T two and all that come from? Correct. Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, go ahead. They're, I'm they're sorry, all, I didn't mean to interrupt you. They're, sorry, they're all like synthetic mescaline versions, basically. Yes. Like that was his sort of his sort of fetish was making all these synthetic mescalines because he had this yeah. big like hard on for that stuff. And what he but, ended um, up doing was like isolating certain traits of mescaline, right? So each of these yeah. different uh, chemicals, these research chemicals, have a different characteristic of mescaline, right? Some of them have really heavy visuals. Some of them are mental trips. Some of them are body high, right? Each of them have like their own thing, right? Their own. They all have elements of all of those, but they have one standout characteristic, right? Because he was, like you said, yeah. trying to synthesize mescaline. Absolutely. Um, I, I just wanted to say, though, like this guy, he was uh, – I mean, think about the effect that MDMA had on our generation. I mean, it was an absolute atom bomb of chemical uh, weaponry, and you know, it totally changed the culture of our generation in a really perverse way. And uh, you know, it – it's amazing because he he was uh he was in the Bohemian Grove. He actually wrote about it and the chapter after um after uh, MDMA in his book Phenethyl Means I Have Known and Loved PCAL. Um, so it's, it's pretty it's pretty nefarious stuff. I don't know if he was in other secret societies, but I do know he was in that one. And it, it makes you wonder. It makes you wonder because you, like you just said, like you just outlined this whole segment. Th- this is all interconnected. This is not an accident. None of this is organic. This is a subversion. I missed what? who we were talking about there. Who were we referring to that did all that drug oh. stuff? Yeah, we we're just kind of blast. <laughs> My bad. Go ahead. Yeah, we kind of blast Alexander right through there. Shelgin. Yeah, sorry. Shuglin or Shelgin? Shuglin, Alexander, yeah. Alexander Sasha Shelgin, yeah. He was this uh, Berkeley professor kind of guy. And, um, you know, he, he basically worked for Dow Chemical for a long time. And then what happened is he he did this sort of like breakthrough where he invented this kind of uh, slug poison or some bullshit. And then they were like so impressed with that. They said like, oh, you could do anything you want. And he's like, yeah, I want to do psychedelics. And they're all like, uh, at least this is the official story. And um, so then after that, he goes on to like have this home laboratory in the uh, in the hills outside of the San Francisco Bay Area. And he cooks up everything, dude. This guy had a DEA license, so he wasn't even necessarily breaking the law when he's cooking up all these mind-bending poisons. And, uh, you know, so he gets to experiment on all this stuff. He's got, I've seen, I'm going to show you guys videos of it. It's unbelievable. They have all these videos, they have documentaries on it and stuff. One called Dirty Pictures is actually a really good one about the whole thing. But, um, you know, I never really used to think of it as a subversion. I just thought it was really fascinating. But, man, now, uh, based on, like, how you guys just laid it out, yeah, I mean, this this is very much a subversion, and this guy's role in it cannot be understated. This guy is like, you know, he wasn't the culture engineer type, like a Leary or a, or a McKenna, but he was absolutely pivotal because even though uh, MDMA was synthesized by some German chemist, actually, around the turn of the century, it just sat on a shelf and nobody knew what it was good for. But this guy brought it back into use in 1977, I believe, and started giving it to all these uh, psycholo- psychiatrists and psychologists to use as this sort of like, 
underground therapy on all these couples and stuff in the Bay Area, at least so the Dude. official story goes. And so he starts getting it out there. He starts finding out that, like, ooh, this is uh, great dope. You know, and they start spreading this shit around, just like Fash was saying with the, uh, with the um, what you call it, Grateful Dead people and sp- them being acid traffickers. Oh, my God. They did a sort of neo-hippie thing with that, with that yeah. MDMA, and it, it just went everywhere, man. Yeah, yeah and it, dude, speaking right. go no, Akila, go ahead. Is pissing me off. Just to connect it real quick to the Laurel Canyon thing, they had a guy. Um, I'm away from the book at the for the second, but his name was Owsley O W S L E Y, and he would go around. He was known to be the main person distributing LSD in both Laurel Canyon and in uh, the High Ashbury scene in in uh, San Francisco, and he would he would like like 15,000 tabs of LSD and he would bring them and give them out for free not with no intention of making his money back so people were funding this dude with, with, with this amount of LSD and so where was it coming from? It was coming from government approved labs like the one you're describing 100% Like why do you think these cartels are just allowed to operate? Right Well, right. And not only that, <laughs> think about this and you know, uh, you were right uh, Night Nation about them using MDMA as uh, therapy, psychotherapy. They're doing that, that again. They're it's back, yep. bro. It's back. Yep. They are they are back to breaking people's brains with hard drugs. Did you know now in fucking Oklahoma, in rural Oklahoma, you can drive down the the highway, the interstates, and you see these billboards to call these helplines to get fucking ketamine for oh, depression. Wow, yeah. Oh, and, and, and have you ever done ketamine, bro? Mushrooms too, Johnny. They're giving to them, bro. Yeah. yeah, I could understand. I can understand mushrooms though, because mushrooms do give you like an introspective thing, right? There's a thing that happens there. I actually can understand that a little bit, but you have to take like a massive dose of mushrooms to get what they're yeah, thinking dude, you'll get out of it. You get in the ketamine. You, get out of it, you have to rebuild your whole fucking personality, rebuild your dude, brain and shit like that. You what, ketamine. What, what, what drug is this? We it's called ketamine. It's a tranquilizer for animals. Yeah, ketamine is a tranquilizer oh, for animals. Dirty. I've oh, done it. Tranquilizer's dirty, bro. I've done it quite a bit, dude. No, and Johnny is dirty. It fucks you up. There are no medicinal <laughs> fucking properties. It's very, it's very similar to GHB. I've done GHB as well, and ketamine and GHB are very similar in the effect they have on you, or at least the effect they had on me. Uh, and it's just like a real like noodly wobbly loose feeling yeah. there's there's no uh introspection or like breakthrough that happens on fucking ketamine you're just wasted oh, you're yeah, just yeah. fucking it's, wasted yeah, dude it's almost like drinking with it's almost like alcohol without the drinking but then like a hundred times more yeah, you know it's, it's like instantly being pissed drunk yeah like just yeah, fucking yeah. instantly being blackout <laughs> drunk so you oh, know yeah. how scientology like if you go to Scientology, what they do is they like kind of yell at you and cut you up. And like, or if you go to uh, one of the really popular ways to do rehab in the seventies was to like really destroy people's ego, break, mm. scream at them, yell, yell at them, break them down. So the idea is to break them down and then build back their, their personality, build in something new that isn't like that works for them better or whatever it is. But you can use that to make people's behavior, like create new behaviors in people. And ketamine is basically used for the same purpose, right? They, they, they literally like put you in a K-hole. And then when you come well, back out of the K-hole, they, they just like give you um, suggestive influence and they can recreate your all, personality. All psychedelics, all psychedelics do that. That is actually something that is sought out by hardcore hippies. They seek out right. the trip that gives you what they call ego death. Right. Yeah, That's cool. why they take these massive doses of LSD and psilocybin to get that ego death 
just for that very reason. And they don't realize, they think this is a good thing, right? They think this is a breakthrough that they're having, not realizing they're, they're destroying their brain. They're, they're crushing themselves, and they're being molded back by people who don't care about it. They're making themselves malleable and then being molded back by a diseased society. Totally true. That's right. And they do it in a lot of ways to, you know, uh, now it's so that we can, because we're being traumatized just by our environment, they do it so that we can tolerate our surroundings and we get kind of pulled into um, kind of that process, you know, uh, by being introduced in a lot of ways when you're a teenager to the counterculture ideas Bro, and stuff like that. Every single one of us on this call did drugs because we wanted to be cool. 100%. Pretty much. Yeah. Like, think about, like, also, this, like, think about that, how deep that is, like. Think about that for a minute. The Jews got you doing it through, like, yeah, they do. Okay. Mind control, bro. Yes, it's like, oh, yes, dude. through casting spells on you through yeah, the television and music. Yes, and, and I heard what you said earlier, Johnny, about spells, and I agree with it. And I wanted to add to that that, like, when we say the word spells, that's a very freighted term, and and that comes from oh, the ancient time with no uh, knowledge of science, so we can just totally dismiss it, and that's very dangerously ignorant because they're mm. describing something that occurs now. With a different word. There's a different word for it. But they understood all of these things. Like yep. Johnny was saying, they all this has all been known for a long time. For a real long time. For millennia. Yeah, but, but what happens is we have this, this ego in the modern era where we have all this bullshit fucking science. So therefore, everything in the past is dismissed. And to me, I, that, to my diagnosis, that's what's wrong with most people. That's why most people are fucked up. Because they're lost. When guidance they would have followed, they just utterly dismiss as as nonsense because it's not based in Jewish science. And that's the real ultimate psyop, huh? Yeah, I, I, when I said it, I said it in a manner of speaking, you know, and, and I, I was alluding to just that, right? And so, yeah, I appreciate you clarifying that too. That's yeah, the, but, but like they used to call it spells because that was what they right. called it, yeah, but it, it's the same shit. It, yeah, basically, right? That's the best way to say it, right? So, yeah. um, you know, it, it's a language game. That they play as well. Right. It's a language. Mm. It's a nasty shell game. And the Jews have mastered this. Like, it's like, why do you think they always repeat words all the time? Use key words. Use the images to try to define a word in your head. You know, a word is just a sound yeah. that relates an idea. Like, racism is the biggest bullshit one of all. Like, racism. What the fuck oh, are you yeah. talking about? They just made this up and created all the connotations. You know what I mean? 100%. And we got to stop letting the Jews do that. That's why they won't let go of academia. Because academia creates the words. And words create reality. That's right. Absolutely. You know? uh, someone in the chat. Go ahead, Night Nation. No, you go Sorry, ahead, please. My bad oh, I was just going to say the other thing, the other thing the spells had an effect on with getting people, like you said, everybody on this call did uh, did drugs to be cool. I mean, the, Isn't that the weird? Spell they did, it is weird. But the other thing they did, though, the <laughs> other spell they that. did to make that happen was our, our, our curiosity. And that was a big thing for me. They hijacked your curiosity and they made this stuff seem really <laughs> fucking intriguing. When really, it's, is it really? No, it's just being fucking noodled out for a while and being like, you know, it's, it's, it's retarded. It's so so sad. That's why they like Sorry, target the girls because you want to like you, you, most of it is mm. like you don't want to look like a faggot in front of the. Girls. Well, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. Being cool, <laughs> may, being cool may have been the original reason all of us did drugs. But I'll tell you honestly, I'll be real honest with you. And this is the reason of, the reason most men do drugs is to get pussy because bitches yeah, love true. drugs. That is why guys get hooked on fucking drugs because they want to get they want to have the sack so they can go grab a bitch easy like hey you smoke hey you want to bump hey that's an easy way that's an easy way to break the fucking ice so that's why a lot of young men get hooked on drugs behind pussy so keep keep that shit in mind 
That was like my playbook. Me oh. too. Yeah. I, that's why I said I got to be honest at the beginning of this motherfucker. You know what I mean? I loved the sack chaser when I was doing that shit. You know what I mean? Greasy. It's super greasy shit. It's fucking you know? slimy as fuck. Yeah, it is, man. Yeah, but for sure. That's what Barrett. gets a lot of young men uh, hooked on drugs, man. It's pussy, dude. It really is. It's such a great observation. Coke guys. Like, those guys make me want to, like, fight, bro. The like, guys who, like, use Coke. You know what I mean? Like, oh, that's yeah. real. To get bitches, get them hooked on coke. Now they're sucking your dick off. Not doing all this shit, and it's just like you know, that's like slavery. You know? Yeah, yeah it's very fucking whack, man. I was always a little bit naive because like an eight pack is almost as good as coke to get pussy. So like I, I kind of yeah. So I went through it a little bit naive, and and like uh, those people like you're describing, man. These people are fucking like they're 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 they're, they're caught up in this evil. Like a dude that's willing to ply a female with drugs or alcohol is you're very caught up in like in like this evil like kind of um nigger attitude, right? Like, yeah, like, this, like this yeah. attitude. Yeah. yeah, these guys did it with with these women, you know, like um like in Laurel Canyon, like uh, Vito Palikas had a had a had a troop of thirty five underage girls that he would have orgies with and ply them oh. with all this LSD and all this crazy shit. He was like a fifty five year old man, disgusting looking fucking armenian or some some shit like that i don't know what he was but it, you know so it, um, like you, you guys are right about low agency people women you know like reacting to substances and status and all this kind of stuff so um you know i i think you know i always try to bring things operational and i, I sound like a broken record but um purity of lifestyle and purity of personal choice right they allow you to have clarity of mind and uh they allow you to kind of like understand that we do create our own realities and in a lot of ways. And so it, it, we're, we're, uh, we have obligation to try and create something healthy for children. That, that's big. That's oh, a yeah. bottom line. I wasn't laughing at you, Akilah. I was laughing at Morgoth. He said, I used to do meth like Trump. <laughs> it just made me laugh. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, like what? Like Trump, like Donald Trump. I used to do meth like Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, fuck. Well, man, guys, we've been going. We we made it a little bit over two hours. Night Nation, you're going live after this, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. You guys got anything you want to say on the way out of here? Night Nation, you sound like you were about to say something, bro. Oh no, I was just I was just agreeing that I'm going to go live. If any of y'all got gas in your tank, y'all welcome to come on, of course. But um, yeah, I mean, I, oh, yeah. I think that you know, you guys really stumbled on something that is really you know, this is really key, right? Because we've been subverted in so many ways, and and we we really underestimate these ways. I mean, this stuff has all been normalized to the extent where people don't even barely bat an eye at it. I mean, if you think back to like the 1950s, this idea that people would go have big fucking drug parties and music parties in a field, that would be that would be seem fucking satanic to them. And it is. But, you know, we've been so. Yeah, it was. It was been so normalized that most of us. So have what you it. said it's, about Elvis was hot take, too. The that Elvis too. Thing, yeah, that was a good point. You know. 100%. Fuck right. that guy. Mr. White Tuber, you got anything you want to say on the way out of here? No, man, good show as always. You guys yeah. are really smart. Good information, y'all, y'all boys put on here tonight. I'm just been listening a lot of it, just learning. Thank know? you, brother. Yeah, I miss doing shows like this. You remember back when I first started? These are the kind of shows I used to do, man. And then I kind of fell off, yeah, just kind of shit posting, man. I miss doing these kind of shows, so I'm gonna try to get back to it, man. But uh, yeah. thank you for jumping on, brother. I always enjoy having you, man. Yeah. Uh, man. brother Keeler, got anything you want to say on the way out of here? Yeah, I'll just elaborate real quick. I'll try to be brief on, on what I was saying uh, just two seconds ago. Um, I really think, obviously, I'm biased. I think that's the 3.0 lifestyle. 
offers a solution to what we just described, what we just went through for the last two hours. How can you choose to live in such a way that opposes these forces in the world? How can you be a beacon for the type of culture? Uh, how can you become a man uh, that that sort of uh, stands on his word and the type of culture that is going to ultimately protect our children in the long term, right? And enact the 14 words. Um, so, you know, you have spirituality, you have education, you have fitness exercise and activism. Um, and not far after those things are um, homesteading if possible uh, and art, right? Um, and beautiful Aryan inspired art. Um, so these are all things that we could do to create our environment around us uh, and, and make it more healthy. Um, so I implore people to go and explore that, join an active club, uh, share your art with people, um, build your life so that you can move towards having a family and homestead. Um, I recently talk about activism. I just had a po little post go viral about a story in South Africa where some kids were singing Erica at school. Um, nice. And Krusty um, will be coming on at some point to discuss uh, what uh, some of our SA guys are going to do to sort of, um, you know, make those kids feel good about their choice, even though they're going to get probably a lot of backlash and stuff like that. So uh, this is the type of activism that we want to encourage all around the world. We've got good networks to do so. Um, and so uh, you can find me at National Socialist Fitness Club and uh, Fast Fitness on Telegram. Um, trying to get guys in shape for a good starting point. So thanks again, John. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure and an honor as usual. No, it was yes, great, John. bro. Thanks for uh, reading up on that book and shit, bro. I appreciate that, man. And yeah, I don't think you're biased. You know, I And mean, even if you are biased, uh, bias doesn't indicate uh, being incorrect, right? Just because you're biased doesn't mean you're not right, right? 3.0, the 3.0 uh, lifestyle is the way forward, man. It's the best option for our youth right now. And that's what we should all be promoting to our younger generations, man. Uh, dude, bro, in the chat says, how do we move forward? Listen, brother, I'm just an electrician, but I can tell you what I think we should be doing. Uh, I think collectivization is the way forward. Community building, building positive, strong, white social support networks. Gathering your tribe and becoming anti-fragile. Get yourself ready for the worst because the worst is coming. And there ain't no fucking way around that, brother. And, and, and like Johnny, people keep asking, what do we do, what do we do? You do the same thing you're always were supposed to be doing. You be righteous. Yeah. You be courageous. You do the things we were always. That's why we're in this mess. You know what I mean? Yeah, on a personal level, but outwardly, we we do need to but, be collectivizing with right. one another. But that's for the sure. problem. As a society, we failed. Yeah. These things for you sure. Know? And by a thousand we need percent. To doing these things again, like like uh, like like sloth. Not doing. Like, we have a responsibility here with what's going on. As men of this society, we have a responsibility. Not doing anything is straight up sloth. You're neglecting responsibility. So yeah, man, get active, get out there, do something about it. Don't just be a fucking complainer. You know, absolutely. Uh, Jeff Goybloom says, uh, "Great show. Please post the replay." Yeah, I'm. I will. I don't have anything to edit out of this one, so I can post this like right after the show. I'll get it up tonight. Uh, so yeah, I will absolutely. And um, I want to have one of these fucking guys talking all this economic bullshit. I'm getting real sick and tired of the ignorance. You know what, what? I mean? Yeah. I mean, I'm hearing economic a lot of bullshit. Yeah, all the motherfuckers, like that shit you were saying all earlier, all this elitist shit. Oh, like, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, motherfucker around real quick, you know? Yes. I would love to get one of these stupid motherfuckers because there are a lot of them who talk this crazy shit. Yeah, you know man. I mean? The middle class. 
Yeah, the middle class have always looked down on the working class in this country, and that's, so, that's a taboo we have to break in our movement. In the pro-white sphere, we have to break the tendency of people to look down their nose at a lower caste, for lack of a better term. That's poison. That's absolute poison. And those are some of the best fucking people in the world, man. Yeah, elitism yeah, class is degree. fucking... Like, these people are sitting here acting like they're nobility. Lady you're not nobility. You're a goddamn merchant rat. Okay, cocksucker? So stop pretending like you're nobility. Thank you, you very much. Carry yourself in a certain way. It's Marxist rhetoric. It's, it's communist rhetoric. It's Marxist rhetoric to divide the classes. You know, like it's, it's almost as mm. bad to have poor people look up at, at rich people and target them. That's what happened in, in, in communist Russia and Bolshevik Russia. And even in the target the middle class, you know, when you're extremely poor. You see that actually in, in America right now with like extremely poor uh, minority communities targeting white middle class. So, um, you know, these things are they're, they're, they're coming back on themselves. And uh, like e the economics of it, of it are, are, is usually a distraction. It's, it's a distraction. And class. Talk, talk of class is, is, is very often a distracted to racial unity, right? That's the bottom line. The attack is on race. We need a racial silo, an insular racial silo um, that has defense mechanisms built into it um, to be able to protect our children. That's that's the start. And then, you know, in-group strategy, out-group strategy. Everybody else does it, and we're the only ones not playing the game. We're losing because of it. So it's got to change. That's it, man. That's why I always say one people, one struggle. I chose that very carefully, man, because I mean that. We have to act as one people, and we have to see ourselves as all part of the same struggle. And you cannot see yourselves as part of the struggle of someone you stare down your nose at. All right? So we have to cut that shit out, man. Uh, real quick, guys, thank you very much to Zizor. He says, great show. Johnny and panel really enjoyed it. Thank you very much, brother. I'm glad you guys enjoyed you it. Got some Jeff gave a $20 donation and he wrote, great show, please post the replay. Yeah, I read that. I'm going to post it okay. immediately after this show. Okay, uh, that one. Dissident and, and Thoughts, I, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much. He says 100%. I'm assuming he's agreeing with uh, what we had to say. But guys, man, thank you all very much. This was a great fucking show. I actually really enjoyed this show a lot, man. So thank you all very, very much for uh, jumping on. And Night Nation, dude, thank you for bringing up Shuglin. Cause I never would have done that. I completely, I haven't thought of that <laughs> guy. Shit, huh? I dude, I haven't thought of Shuglin in probably <laughs> fifteen years. I'm not shitting you. In, in probably fifteen years, I haven't even heard that fucking name because I haven't been around that. You know, in hippie circles, he's like a god. You know what I mean? As oh, is yeah. all the rest of these guys are. So these guys did yeah. the autistic documentary watching and book reading. That, so you didn't have to. Anyways. Thank you all very, very much for being here, guys. As always, man, take care of yourselves and take care of each other, family. One people, one struggle. God bless y'all. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. And fuck you, I'm out.
children in their sights But if they don't have faith, their eyes are blind They can scream and they can shout But they can never smoke us out Keep your rifle by your side Singing, oh Lord, this earth was made for us Singing, oh Lord, this simple life just ain't enough When we hear the voice, we know we have no other choice Keep your rifle by your side They'll have bombs and they'll have taste Cause they've got money in their face But we won't fall as long as we can fight They'll go on to reach their gates But they won't get past the gate Keep your rifle by your side Singing, oh Keep my 